OK. How nice is that? Smooth. smooth is that jam is there a note out of place in that <laughs> every sound is perfectly <laughs> orchestrated remember like a couple of years ago we were just on the deepest like steely dan kick yeah and then we found that uh there's like a multi-part documentary i think on on youtube and they talk about them making those albums back then and it was so do you remember that are you thinking of the uh like it was kind of like a, a greatest albums yeah, uh, documentary yeah, that right. they were they were doing the album Aha. Okay, or, yeah. I'm sorry, Asia. Yes. Aha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you read I'll, it in I'll Spanish, see. it's pronounced Aha. Oh yeah, Aha, Aha. <laughs> they, uh, the way <coughs> there was so much excess and like production yeah. bands back then that they it was it was awesome to learn about because what they right. do is these guys were pretty much musical geniuses. I mean, they were just phenomenally talented and they would have these songs, just the two of them and they work out these songs and then they bring in a band of all studio musicians Yep, and they'd cut the song and they'd be like, sounds good. Let's bring in a whole new studio yeah. band and do it again. And not and use again. any of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they'd re-record the song over in a different drummer this time. Let's just do a different guitar. So let's do a yeah. whole new band all together. And they'd re they had just so much like excess of like funds and availability of studio time. Like, right. It was not like it is now with bands like to crank out an album. It's like, no, we're gonna give you like eight months to record this album and just whatever, whatever it takes, you know, whatever musicians, yep. however long you take, however much cocaine that you guys need. And, and they were the consummate studio band. Yeah. Or, I mean, you can't even call them a band. There's so many people involved in it. It's like just a project. Yeah. Every album is just a project. They hired that, uh, that one drummer, Bernie, uh, the Bernie shuffle, Purdy, right? Purdy. Oh yeah. Purdy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. And in, in that documentary, he, uh, they tell the story like, yeah, this guy came in, this guy's famous session drummer. I think there's also a pretty like semi-legit rumor that he played on some of the Beatles albums. Oh, really? I think so. You think really? So, well, he, he, 
that doesn't seem like it. He'd have to be as good as Ringo Starr. Right. right? <laughs> From the credit card commercials? Ringo Starr. <laughs> Did you hear that story about uh, the reporter that asked John Lennon if uh, Ringo Starr was the best drummer he'd ever met or anything? Yeah. He said, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> But they talk, they tell a story. This guy, you know, just has this larger than life personality and he's in the documentary too. He's like super entertaining to watch, but yeah, he you got to check out this documentary. Sets, sets seen up it. his drums and then sets up two signs on each side of his drums. It says, you done did it. You done hired the hit maker. Congratulations. <laughs> you done did it. You done hired the hit maker. <laughs> Bernard Purdy. Bernard Purdy. <laughs> Man, I got to go back yeah. and watch that. The it's Purdy one time. invented the Purdy shuffle. Purdy shuffle. Yeah. So I want to give a quick shout out to, have you ever heard of Hiram Hutchinson? Of course not. <laughs> Hiram Hutchinson, born 1808, died 1869, was an American industrialist of British origin. Uh, he founded a rubber company in France that was the predecessor of Hutchinson SA, and he has all kinds of patents. Um, he bought, he acquired the patent rights of vulcanization, vulcanization of rubber from Goodyear in 1853. This guy is like one of those old school dudes that just invented, invented, you know, just constantly coming up with things as this pertains to us today uh, in my life. Yes. Hiram Hutchinson also invented the gasket sump, sump pump. I knew it had something to do with your sump pump, <laughs> sump pump which is saving my life, my marriage and my house right now. Totally. I have three sump pumps set up all over the place. Like for we're here in Northern California and we're just getting, what are they calling it? A bomb cyclone? No fucking <laughs> some, it's a, every winter. There's a new term and all to new, new term it for some atmospheric river weather. That's the bomb occurrence. cyclone. Yeah. The bomb. And my mom is telling me, yeah, no, there's even like snow cyclones now like snow bomb cyclones <laughs> happening oh really now there are all of a sudden this is a new event this that has never happened in history before uh, it's like uh, they, they, they just the, the, the fear uh, porn cutesy names i could do uh, drives me crazy but point being it is raining very hard and steadily here that is not a lie and turns out this new house we bought is the lowest property on the block <laughs> so my I am, uh, steadily pumping out the water for my entire community i can <laughs> relate dude our my rental is the lowest house on the uh, block yeah every other property drains into my property there yeah and in the backyard the guy much not unlike your house uh -huh. the guy that i bought the house from put in a pit right with a with a pump in it yeah the pump eventually burned out and i had to get a new one and i spared no expense i got like the most expensive pump because you just want it to always always yes turn on yes no matter what right i mean it's like even if the power goes out i feel like i spent enough money the thing should still come on <laughs> but what the dude did it's like as a contractor, <laughs> as a builder going through your house, like who the fuck would do it's, something like this? It's just uncanny. It's like no one does anything right. There's a perfectly right way to do it that you have total access to. You have every ability and ease of, of construction to do the thing right. Yeah. In my case, it was how do you get the water out of the backyard into the street? Okay. Very simple. Yes. I would say maybe run it down the driveway, mm -hmm. your own driveway, mm -hmm. and right out through under the sidewalk, mm -hmm. drill a hole in the curb, boom, on the street, right? What does the guy do that I bought the house from? 
runs it through the neighbor's yard <laughs> into their street for some unconceivable reason. Interesting. Totally illegal. Totally a problem if that neighbor ever decides to just cut it off, do something. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like put a, put a cap on it. Yeah. It's just like, I don't, I just don't get people, you know? And I mean, how often do you run into that? Not just with, with plumbing, with oh, every yeah. damn awesome. thing. It's like, why? And I mean, uh, you, two seconds on the internet would show you the right way to do this. Yeah. And you chose this convoluted, or just a simple, like superficial understanding of how property rights work. <laughs> you go with that. <laughs> oh my God, seriously. <laughs> or just like neighborly relations. It's not, and dude, the, the person whose property he ran the, <laughs> the pipe through is this guy that owns a bunch of birds, mm -hmm. chickens, ducks, probably a turkey. Mm -hmm. They make all sorts of noise back there all the time. Roosters, which you're not supposed to have. Uh -huh. Not only the birds make noise. Right. The dude, two times a day, every day. Makes bird noises. Goes into his backyard, screams at the birds. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! It's like, dude, why do you have birds? <laughs> you know what sounds they make. You've had them at least as long as I've owned the house, which is three years. Why? Did, are you like paying some community service off where you're forced to have these birds? That's you're like a, a, a rescue facility. Like that's such a weird, like old guy move. Like dude, just get rid of the birds. Yeah. He, they don't understand you yelling at them. <laughs> believe it or not. That, rem that kind of reminds me of that. I was kind of pontificating in my mind about that. Now that I'm getting older, that there are different levels of old cranky guy. <laughs> and I realized I had gotten to another level where I'm doing the uh, muttering at a four-way stop. Come on, to fucking go. Oh, in the fucking mask. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I started thinking about what's the next level. It's like one of the highest levels is like the one, you know, where you're like, you see your dad heating up leftovers in the microwave and they start yelling at the microwave. Like, <laughs> Come on, isn't there anything quicker? <laughs> dad, what are you doing? That's how, you said it for a minute. Dude, take a minute. The Simpsons nailed that in one episode where... <laughs> Homer put something in the microwave and he's sitting there going, come on, come on. Isn't there anything quicker? <laughs> we were every once in a while we get in the car, we drive somewhere and there'll be, you know, that, that scenario or, or someone going too slow uh -huh. as they're getting on the freeway. Yeah. You're behind them. Now you're forced to go too slow. Now, both of you have to fuck up all the traffic on the freeway when you try to accelerate at some like breakneck speed in order to get up to speed. And, I'm, we were leaving the house yesterday and uh, Gertrude was sitting next to me and she just like, as soon as we get up behind this car, she just starts muttering. It's called the freeway for a reason. I'm just like, I love you. <laughs> I'm not the only psychopath in our family. Finally <laughs> it took 13 years. What'd you do to that poor girl? <laughs> I know dude. I have some crazy breaking news. Uh Oh, okay. Oh, we have music. Sorry. <laughs> you don't need me to do it. <laughs> Slow down there, chief. <laughs> you ready for this? Bring it. Whoopi Goldberg makes a plea to Maggie Smith to return for Sister Act 3. So, Whoa. Yeah, so they're going to make a Sister Act 3, but 
this is all contingent upon Maggie Smith coming back. So Whoopi Goldberg, wow. yeah, Whoopi Goldberg's in. Fingers crossed. But yeah, and she is making a uh, a pretty aggressive like uh, PR campaign to get Maggie Smith to return. But Whoopi Goldberg saying like I'm in for Sister Act three. So you remember Sister Act two back in the habit? Yeah, yeah. Classic. I mean, mm-hmm. That's kind of our generation's good with uh, Gone with the Wind, you could say. Mm-hmm. So Whoopi Goldberg has made an official plea to Maggie Smith to return for an th- upcoming third installment of the Sister Act film franchise. I yeah. Kind of. I mean, I don't want to. I don't use this, the L word very often, but this is a, like a legacy kind of move right here. Yeah. The winner called on Smith to reprise her role as Mother Superior from 1992 original Sister Act in its 1993 sequel. Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Back in the Habit, right. On the ITV's talk show, Loose Women, which that's a very unfortunate <laughs> name for a talk show for women, but hey, man. Hey, it's the 90s. You, you know. do what you want. Quote, I want to let Maggie Smith know that I'm holding the part of Mother Superior for you, Goldberg said, looking directly at the camera, because I just can't do it with anyone but you. She continued, so if you need me to come over here and shoot it and do whatever we have to do, we will do whatever you want us to do, but we don't want to do it without you, Maggie. This article continues. Goldberg, I, okay, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but is, I just thought, you know. Is Maggie Smith still alive? I don't know who Maggie Smith okay, is. I don't either. <laughs> I marginally know who Whoopi Goldberg is, and I've never seen either Sister Act film. <laughs> Uh, wow, that's uh, shocking. Yeah, breaking. I was gonna do a deep dive on Kevin McCarthy, and then I just this kind of grabbed my attention. I could see how it would. Yeah, it's <laughs> so distracting put, news. Put that in there instead. Right there. Yeah, interesting. Wow, man. Uh, well, uh, I know you kind of already started the show with that one, <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna go ahead and officially start Good the show. Morning. I just kind of feel like everything's going to be an anticlimax after that. <laughs> Hard to live up to that. Um, speaking of Kevin McCarthy, I want to talk a little politics here, sure. if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Not something we're inclined to do most of the time, mm-hmm. because to you and me, politics seems like such a charade. That yes, I mean politics makes Sister Act look like actual news mm-hmm. you know there's very little the franchise i'm talking about <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the uh a lot of people say that yes a lot of people say that um but every once in a while you know uh, politics does have an effect on our lives so um it can't be ignored altogether to quote the great pericles just because you don't take an interest in politics doesn't mean if politics won't take an interest in you very well so said pericles kind of forced to wade through the toxic cesspool that is american politics so my take on what was happening in the uh house speaker of the house what do you call it a race uh election mm-hmm. i think saga refer to it as a race pageantry is that, uh, yeah, it, uh, originally I thought, well, it's just, you know, it's just pageantry. They're eventually going to elect the guy they want to elect. Yeah. And then nothing's going to happen. And it's just the charade continues. Well, I think, I think that whole process, this theater that you're referring to, has gotten toxically worse in the last less than a decade, five, five years, because you have people like AOC or someone like Matt Gates. They're there for social media gotcha moments for clips to be, they're trying to become like rock stars. 
Mm-hmm. So they're so you have a guy like yes. Gates. Like I'm trying to make a name for myself. I'm trying to. You mean that's why they got into politics in the first place? Yes, exactly. Well, that no, well, that's why. But that's also how they got into politics, and that's how they they rise to the top, you know, of prominence mm-hmm. of being a noticeable figure in American politics is by these like moments, growing their social media accounts, and like I, I don't know a single thing. I do now, but you couldn't tell me like where, where's what's what, what are some policy ideas of Matt Gates? I was like, I don't know. I was like, I know exactly what he looks like. I know like all he's been in the news mm-hmm. all week. And so for people that don't follow politics like on the regular, and I think we, you and I follow it more than the average person just because we're interested in stuff. And we also do it for this podcast, but it, it's just this omnipresence of like these vacuous po- political figures who aren't really contributing anything. They don't really have any ideas. They're just out there. They're just there for like media exposure. And I think all these things like this race, this for the you know the process we went through to get find the the house speaker has just was that on steroids. Well, we were talking last podcast or two ago about the idea of a politician. Yes, we were talking about honesty, yeah. and stuff. And I think that applies here. You know, strive to be Ron Paul, who you almost feel guilty calling him a politician, right. or Thomas Massey. Yeah. yeah, could you tell me? So you, you couldn't tell me a policy uh, position from Matt Gates, right? You just yeah. said, uh, you, could you tell me one from Ron Paul? Yes. Right? Very it, much That so. says a lot. <laughs> How right? much time you got? Exactly. And that's just the, the because what they stand, they are principled men who stand for actual, right. uh, for something. Yeah. You know, they're not out there just to be politicians, just to win a popularity contest. Yes. So um, it seems to me like this, Freedom Caucus, who was holding up the election of the Speaker of the House, smacks a lot of principled people. Mm -hmm. And I would not have guessed that going into it. Interesting. It took me till about maybe the seventh or ninth vote before I was like, (laughs) hold on a second. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I came across this article in the greatest newspaper of our era, the Epic times, um, talking about all the concessions that were made mm-hmm. by the, uh, rest of the GOP in the house in order to get the freedom caucus to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Okay. So this will be interesting because I ignored all of this. I was like, I, I just, I'm not doing this theater thing. And then when he cool. was elected, I think it was the 15th vote or something like that. Yeah. And then the things he came out and said, the first thing I saw, he's like, the first thing that bill that we can propose is to defund the 87,000 IRS agents. That yeah. Hired. I was like, whoa, just came the, out. Like, who's this guy? Just came like, out today. Yeah. I just figured like Kevin McCarthy, I, I just saw a picture with him, the Ukraine lapel, you know, flag in, in his, in his suit jacket. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, what's just just some milk toast in the middle of the road fucking establishment politician, you know, rhino, whatever. Like, I, I'm not paying attention to this stuff. And then the next thing, I've, you know, all this hoopla went on three, four days later in the circus with Matt Gates and everything going down and just constantly hearing it on the news is that was the first thing I saw. I was like, whoa, like something happened because mm-hmm. I would not expect something like that to come out of this guy's mouth. First thing. Yeah, first first, thing. first order of business. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I was really stoked to see that. Yeah, uh, I think your sump pump might have just sucked up a cat because it's making a lot of noise <laughs> out there. Do you hear that? <laughs> uh, okay, we'll get another one. Number cat. And <laughs> <laughs> think after that, you're gonna need another sump pump too. <laughs> okay, uh, number one, 
As has been reported, it will only take a single congressperson acting in what is known as a Jefferson motion, a Jeffersonian motion. Okay, I did see this mattered around some headlines. To move, to remove the speaker if he or she goes back on their word in a policy agenda. So I looked into that, and uh, man, if you want to read some deep, Dry old English <laughs> shit. Yes. <laughs> um, essentially, what it means. Don't bust that out on a first date, kids. <laughs> is that the. Uh, it only will take. Uh, it's basically a recall of something that was done in Congress. Okay. And what the concession was made that it's only going to take one congressperson, one just bringing it up. Okay. I did. To get this guy this. Okay. to get a vote to recall the speaker of the house. Right. So they basically made it like, all right, if you go back on your word, we're holding your ass to the fire. And this is the most like lethal way that they could do it. Okay. It's kind of cool. All right. Number two, a church style committee will be convened to look into the weaponization of the FBI and other government organizations, uh, presumably the CIA saw that too against the people. So the church committee was back in the seventies when they 75, when they declassified the MK ultra programs, uh, and various other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The church commission is our friend. Yes. Yes. When you hear, yeah. When you hear that, it's a positive thing. Number three, term limits will be put up for a vote. A lot of people think term limits would really, um, so I've heard an interesting argument for both sides of this. Okay. I was just going to say, cause I don't necessarily think, right. I think there's a way around term limits. So I don't necessarily think term limits are some magic bullet that are going to yeah, fix that. So the problem, so the corruption so, so of so our let's, Congress, let's go through real quick. Like what, are, what's the knee jerk? Like I'm, I'm going to understand 5% of the concept of term limits and, and I, I, I fell prey to this myself uh-huh. when I heard the other side. I'm like, man, there's a good argument for both these. Yeah. You know, the, the initial argument being is that we have these people that are just in office forever and they become just like monolithic establishment. Yeah. They just, it's, it's, they hold on to voters, power. see the name Strom Thurmond and they're just like right. stamp. Like, right. <laughs> and, and of course it just, it imbued, Nancy Pelosi. It just concretes a corruption yeah. and, you know, just relationships that never change and backdoor deals and all this. So the argument against this that I heard that I thought was pretty compelling is they're saying if the more that you have of a seat of power revolving like that, that establishment corruption, that that's going to create a power vacuum. I thought this was an interesting concept that will be taking up by something. And if it's not an actual person, a politician, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Nancy Pelosi in there for, oh, was she 20 something years, 20 years? How's it was, uh, no, 120. <laughs> yeah. 20, yeah. <laughs> I want your blood <laughs> and, um, shout out Paul Pelosi. <laughs> and then, uh, but they're saying like that vacuum will be filled with lobbyists and special interest. Cause they're like, well, they will actually hold that seat and they'll have this new guy come in who doesn't have those power relationships and those, those pass forged. Yeah. And that seat will be owned by, you know, whatever JP Morgan chase or Pfizer or something like that. And they'll say like, yeah, Hey, welcome to your new job. Like, here's what, here's how you're voting for the next no, four years. Just look at, um, Look at the Senate race in Pennsylvania. Fucking vegetable (laughs) got elected. It doesn't really matter. They're gonna get in the the people that they want to get in. I don't. I don't see it as a magic bullet. I don't think it's not that we much worse. Much better off with Doctor Oz, but no. And well, same thing. It's just. I don't see it. Back to what you were saying before. It's fucking. It's it's almost. Once you start to understand like how these power structures work, 
it's just becomes more and more like that's why it gets harder for when you and I talk about this to get to stay interested in it. I'm like, it's just all pageantry. This is just theater. Mm-hmm. This is like what? Like, and it's like, I feel like a dick if I don't get involved and I'm not educated on what's going on. But then it's like when I do jump in, like, okay, let's eat, eat like this is the worst tasting dish ever. You have to eat it. Like that makes you a good citizen. Cause then I'm going to be like, you know, up on the issues and know like who's in power. And it's, it's like knowing, you know, the entire script of sister act two, <laughs> it's like, well, who gives a shit? It doesn't matter. Look at the presidential, uh, elections. We have term limits for presidents, right? Has that created some <laughs> like wonderful scenario where we're finally like getting good people elected? No, it's when Obama held the uh, bankers' feet to the fire after the two thousand eight crash. Yeah, boy, did he! Uh-huh. He really, uh-huh. really made them pay. I know, made made us pay when he only took us from two wars to seven. Yeah, huh? yeah. There's some there's some because he didn't have change. to worry about being reelected. Change. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm ambivalent on that. I just, I think it yeah. might be better, but I don't think it's a silver bullet. I think that one is interesting because I feel like I have a pretty, like a fairly cognizant understanding of both sides of why both are good and bad. Mm-hmm. And you're left like, what's the solution? You're like, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, bills present, pre- presented to Congress will be a single subject, not omnibus with all the attendant earmarks. And there will be a 72 hour minimum period to read the term. Uh, uh, sorry to read them. Now this, I didn't actually look into this to know exactly what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what they're saying is that the, you're not just going to have like the whole, everything in the kitchen sink thrown into a bill, but oh, that doesn't make right. sense to me because and I should have looked into this more before we start talking about it, nah. but <laughs> it's not really what we do here. Um, I figure, you know, it, it's, uh, it, that's a great concept. Like let's, you know, for one, being able to read the bill mm-hmm. is, should be yeah, important to these people. Yeah. Not picking on Obamacare, but for example, when Obamacare was 40 something thousand pages long, and we go, what's in it? They're like, well, well, we have to pass it to tell you what's in it. That's an actual right. quote from Nancy Pelosi. Ex- exactly. Is that, is that how, dude, I swear to God, when you come from, I don't know, a, call, a small L, like libertarian ideology, when you go, this is this, it's just all this corruption, this is broken. It's like entering politics, getting interested in it as a libertarian. It's like entering a, like a beer drinking contest as a straight edge kid. You're like... I deplore all of this, but this is the game we're playing. I guess I got to like try to hang with you guys. Well, it's kind of a fucking nightmare. It's an acquired taste. Yes. <laughs> right. Every kid who hears about this in civics class, when you and I are old enough to actually have had civics mm-hmm. class, they don't do that anymore. You hear about stuff like this omnibus bills with all this pork yeah. attached to it. And you hear that the first time and you're like, what? Right. Really? That's yeah. what they do. And adults who are so much wiser than these kids, yes, that's how it works. You know, just fucking suck it up, kid. That's that's politics. That's yeah. the way the world works. And one day you'll understand. But as a child, just like I was saying that one time about the money thing, like what? They just print money? Yes, deal with it. Yeah. It's like, yes, they just, they don't read the bills. They just pile a bunch of shit in there. They vote for it. Mm-hmm. They get paid. They don't have any consequences because it's a form of government where they're just caretakers. They don't own the government, so they don't own any of their mistakes. They don't have to pay for anything that they did wrong. So they just fucking vote for it. They get paid. We get fucked. 
end of story. So this is actually a great step in the right direction. I don't know if that literally means that you can't add pork onto these bills and then right. get them signed. But, um, if it seems like that's a step in that direction and having a 72 hour minimum period to read the bill, doesn't mean that they're actually going to read it, mm-hmm. but that is the right thing to do. You can't just throw this shit. It, you know what yeah. that does? 72 hours gives enough time for aides to leak shit to the media. Yeah. For people to start talking about it, for pressure to be put on them. Because yeah. if by signing it right away, there's no chance for anyone to call their congressperson or get a story in the media or get some uh, some traction on why this stuff sucks and why we're all getting screwed by them. I'm, so that is a really good thing. I'm also curious, this is a bit of a sidestep, but I'm also curious to know, or I imagine it's wildly similar, but we also talk about when we vote on our state props here in California, as I tell people, they're like, I don't know, you have some uh, majestic sounding prop. Um, yeah. Uh, money for little kids. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> and you go like, uh, no, I'm not voting for that. Why? Like, I reflexively vote against all taxes because it, it yes. never seems to get to the cause. And I just think that it's just an inefficient use of money. And people say, you barbarian. I'm like, well, don't you love kids? Yeah. Let's look at the bill. Oh, there it is. All funds go to the general fund. Uh-huh. That money doesn't go to the kids. It goes to the general fund, which is mostly unfunded pension liabilities and no bid contracts. So it doesn't even make it to the kids anyway. And so I'm curious to, I'm, Dude. I'm sure there's a fairly accurate parallel between our state props and how the federal government allocates money. I have an idea. Yes. Let's make, let's start a movement. We're going to get a proposition on the ballot. Okay. Next time around. Sweet. And we're going to call it. Money for unfunded liabilities and no bid contracts. <laughs> okay. That's good. That is a good Get idea. people and we'll go around door to door and get people to sign this petition and we'll explain to them what we're doing. Yeah. We're trying to draw attention to the fact that this is what happens to every nice. bill. All right. And then we'll actually make it like, no, we're, we're going to raise the sales tax in California. 1% for unfunded pension, for unfunded pensions and no bid contracts. contracts. It's all got to go to that. I like that. Which is basically going to the general fund. And then the, then that neighbor will go like, no, 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 no. I I get what you're trying to do. But you see at the bottom here, it says all funds go to the general fund. Yeah. Uh huh. Exactly. You You, now you're getting it. It's a fucking conversational onk, brother. It just never stops. (laughs) An onk? An onk. What's an onk? That's that little uh, circle eight thing that uh, Buddhists oh, get the, tattooed. The, <laughs> oh, and the, something. Like that one I have on my lower back? Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> you did the kind of Celtic spin on it, which is, you know. Well, it's tribal. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I have aged, it, aged well. I have it on my calf also. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. I had to get that Tasmanian devil on the other calf. So obviously I just did that one. It's all about balance, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, spring break only comes around <laughs> once a year. So. <laughs> Okay, uh, Texas. Did board- I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> I toured. <laughs> I toured with this band. You did tell me this, and that's why I yeah, said it. I toured this band called Limbeck, and they were a phenomenal band, and some of the coolest, like funniest guys I've ever met. Too, we became like really good friends with them. But their bass player was like next level, like hilarious dude. Yeah. But for no reason at all, he had a giant <laughs> tattoo on his bicep that said Spring Break 99. And he got it in like 2004, right? Yeah. yeah. I was like, did you do anything? He's like, nah, I've never been on Spring Break in my life. <laughs> well, that would be the greatest tattoo so I've ever seen. Fucking so good. Yeah. Dude, when you're that committed to a joke that you get a yeah. tattoo on your body, he was. Like, that is he was that fucking guy. awesome. Yeah. I love that yeah. guy. Don't know him, but I love him. All right. Uh, the Texas border plan will be put before Congress. 
Um, apparently there's a four pronged plan that aims to complete a physical border infrastructure, fix border enforcement policies, enforce our laws in the interior. And which I think means go after people that are here illegally and target cartels and criminal organizations. Uh, a border wall, you say? Uh, I did not say that. So a wall on the border. I didn't say that either. What did you say? I said physical border infrastructure. Okay. Borrowing from the communists here. Huh. You got to use more syllables than wall. Gotcha, gotcha. That is some wild outside the box thinking. Who came up with that concept? Um, originally. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of pageantry, as I heard, as it pertains to the border wall, is that uh, Biden was down there assessing the situation down at the border, and it had him talking with just some random low-level border agent. He's like, I don't know, like, how many, on average, how many people coming through here? He's like, I don't know, like a thousand a day, somewhere between four and a thousand. Biden's like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> just Canadians everywhere! No, sir. No, no. sir. <laughs> <laughs> but it just made me think, okay, number one, when people, you know, the right list to freak out, like he hasn't even been to the border. It's like, why? Like, what is he gonna do? What is he gonna do at the border? Like, physically <laughs> tackle like migrants crossing the river? Like, what, whip them with his horse <laughs> leash again? again? <laughs> Whipping Haitians again? <laughs> is he has people that does that job for him? And it just reminded me. You know, I was just thinking back to what we were just talking about about like pageantry and theater. It's like it's the same thing as you know. Mike Huckabee, you know, campaigning and being in Iowa and he comes up in like a Carhartt jacket staying on a hay bale. Like yeah. he, it's got like a slight got southern a, twang all of a sudden. You're like, what? Big who? piece of straw hanging out of yeah. his mouth. Who is this <laughs> for? Like, who, who, who needs this in their life? Like who who was seeing this going like finally, like someone's doing something about this? Like, it's just it yeah. is astounding to me. No, it's yeah. We love theater. We do. We're all susceptible to it though. You know, it's you and I fall prey to it less than the average bear because we've we rehearse not falling prey to it but i, I do too i think There's, we are also brimming brimming to the top with cynicism yes <laughs> we look for it around a every corner a lot of people don't have but then i heard the argument because i was listening i was like why i was listening to the biden clip it's like who who needs this in their life like who thinks that this is effective and that's doing something like why is he asking some random border patrol agent how many people are crying? like you can't get those facts from your from dc like you don't have people that could give you these numbers and it just makes you, and the person said, well, no, what he's doing is now that the Republicans control the House is, I, I caught it, this is actually well-crafted, is he goes, no, because now the Republicans control the House, he's mm-hmm. saying, he's like, I'm going to go down and get some answers on the border and try to convince my Republican colleagues that we need to do something about the border. I'm like, yeah, okay. Because yeah. Yeah. what he's trying again, to do again, more is, pageantry. is set himself up yeah. for his next presidential run. Cause yeah, it, there's no... Biden plans to run for president again. Now, God, I think, has other plans <laughs> between now and then, but... <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. You drink enough blood of aborted uh, fetuses. <laughs> Children. <can> I... <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's no coincidence that as soon as Republicans took control of the House, all of a sudden, let's deal with the border. Yeah. Like, really? Now you're okay. I don't see through that at all. It's really... <laughs> Anyways, um, moving on down this list. Um, 
you're not going to play the... Uh, right, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> now, dude, every time you open a beer now, you got to play Pocahontas. COVID mandates will be ended, as will all funding for them, including so-called emergency funding. Huh. And the emergency funding was just how they pushed all the, the bullshit through. What is the funding... Okay, let's let's take this apart a little bit. What is the funding that goes behind a COVID mandate? Where there's like, uh, you mean like what are the enforcement majors? Like, what 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 is that? Where does that money go? It goes to cities. It goes to states. It goes to. It's just a fucking free for all. Just, um, what do they call it? Like a windfall for mm-hmm. municipalities. It's an excuse for them to print money right. and send it to other governments. Yes. Um, so part of the American rescue plan provided $350 billion in emergency funding for eligible state, local territorial and tribal governments to respond to the COVID-19 emergency and bring back jobs. (laughs) So we're going to destroy the jobs and then print money and give that back to you to bring the jobs back. Uh Cause only you can bring the jobs back. And then bonus, I'm going to tell you about all the jobs I just created. Yep. Exactly. That works. Exactly. Scoundrels. All right. And uh, the last one on this list here is um, budget bills would stop the endless increases in the debt ceiling and hold the, do you notice how I pronounced the B in debt right there? Have you ever done that? No. It's almost, it's almost impossible to do <laughs> the debt ceiling and hold the Senate accountable for the same. So uh, the debt ceiling. Conversation. Yeah, it's yeah. well, Exactly. And that was there. I think that is the, these 20 dudes in the, uh, freedom caucus, freedom caucus yeah. response to like, uh, the debt ceiling. Like really yeah. like, no, fuck that. We're not doing the debt ceiling dance anymore. Yeah. And this is one of the, con- the concessions that they made. There's actually more than this. So for the, I- just to give an overview, cause not everyone's a fucking nerd like we are is essentially think about the debt ceiling like this. It's I'm my wife and I decide, um, Let's make a deal. It's January 1st. This year, we will never have a balance on our credit cards greater than $5,000, right? We're going to get our finances under control. Like, we need to cut our overhead. Uh, Can I make a correction? Sure. Um, So, we're never going to have a balance on our credit cards that's more than $5,000 more than it was last year. Yeah. (laughs) So, getting there. Yes. So, it'll increase every year, but not more than $5,000 this year. Right. So, So it's it's currently at $70,000 because you guys spend like drunken sailors. We all know. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, as it pertains to this, only this year specifically, our family rule is, is we're not going to increase our increase to use, uh, to, um, expound on your metaphor there (laughs) is we won't increase it by $5,000. Right. And then, uh, you know, I go, I just saw the sweetest jet ski. I think we'd all have the greatest time if we bought this jet ski. Just one. (laughs) Okay. Good point. So we'll get two jet skis and, um, (laughs) what about, what about the boy? Okay. So we got three jet skis at this point. And basically that's how our government works. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Is, is then you go, well, we're already maxed out at that $5,000 mark. I'm like, well, why don't we make the, our family threshold, we'll make it 9,000, right? We're like, agreed? agreed. Per year, every okay. year going forward. Awesome. So $9,000. And then we go like, we buy the jet skis, go like, yeah, we didn't, 
we didn't exceed the debt ceiling of our family because all we did was we just moved what that threshold is. Right. That's what our government does every year, both left and right. Yep. And then if anyone in the family disagrees with that, says, no, we can't, like your son. Yeah. We can't afford that, guys. Yeah. Okay, well, guess what? Guess what, though? But we did that under the provision. It's called Jet Skis for Kids Act. What the fuck is wrong with you? You don't yeah. want kids to have jet skis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you say, well, if you don't, if you don't go along with this, we're just going to, we're just going to shut everything down. I'm going to shut the power off and quit paying the gas bill. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. We're going to just stay in. We're never going out. We're not going to spend any money. Yeah. We're not going to have any, all we're going to be able to spend money on is food and energy and the the bare essentials. Yeah. We won't do anything. No toys, no nothing. And meanwhile, your son who sees things logically, because he's not corrupted by all this bullshit. And weird ass, like autistic libertarians like ourselves having podcasts go like, sounds good. Okay. (laughs) That's really kind of the, probably the most responsible thing to do (laughs) in this situation where you guys are spending like drunken sailors on jet skis that we don't need. And I frankly don't want. Yes. <laughs> and that's how our government works. Yep. <laughs> I'm just a bill. Just a <laughs> so there you go. That's I, interesting. I thought, uh, you know, for once, I'm pretty impressed with what happened in, in Congress to get this guy elected. And then, like you said, here we go. Day one, homeboy comes out and says, we're going to defund the IRS. You know what probably happened? That ad that we made where we encouraged people to buy the defund the IRS shirts off of our website and send them directly to their Congress people. Think it worked? I think it must have worked. Because boy, we sold it. (laughs) I know. Sorry, Greta. Sorry. Take it easy. We're not water. (laughs) Nice. That yeah. is interesting. It's pretty positive, I think. I'm, I'm actually kind of... the. You know what? The uh, Following the... Because the catalyst for this entire discussion was the the speakership and Kevin McCarthy and in true Liberty Tree fashion. I was like, I just, I can't, I can't take it anymore. And then just today, when I started seeing like some of these provisions come out, I'm like, all right, I'm kind of getting interested. Like some of the dust is finally settling. The circus show seems to have at least be tampered down to... a a watchable level that can start like kind of looking into these things. So yeah, I saw the bulk of those provisions are stuff that just were filtering through into my circle just today. I thought it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Most of the one I'm most interested in, I think that the omnibus bill I think is incredibly important. The other one is I really, really want to see where this defunding of the IRS agents go. Cause the other way, the other side of that coin, I think is one of is just a, a horror story. And if that goes down with 87,000 new armed, armed IRS agents is a fucking nightmare to me. Mm-hmm. Cause we, as we had talked about on another podcast, they are not, they're not there to tax the rich. That provision was taken out of the bill. Yeah. It's there coming after people making under $400,000 a year. Yep. That would be the middle class. They are. They've said as much. Yes. After saying the opposite previously. It's interesting that I was thinking a lot today about just the notion of the PSYOP. And I was like, I don't know. The PSYOPs aren't even PSYOPs anymore. They just go like, no, here's what we're doing. Yeah. Get fucked. Totally. That's, it's a little terrifying. It is. It's very. I preferred the days of the PSYOP. I'm like, yeah, you got to figure it out. <laughs> they pretended to care what you thought. <laughs> they don't like, care anymore. Nah, there's nothing. Like, oh, you don't like it? Yeah. Suck it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of their new motto. So the, I played that Greta clip 
is last month, the University of Winchester, they recently unveiled uh, what authorities believe to be the world's first life-size statue of Greta Thunberg on their campus in the UK. And this was done. They tore down a statue of George Hume, I believe, which is some kind of British historical figure. Sure. Uh, David Hume. David Hume? Yeah. One of the most... He was around in the Scottish Enlightenment, one of the okay. greatest uh, philosophers of Western Well, he sounds problematic to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did, I did say Western, didn't I? I <laughs> so uh, president of Winchester Student Union, Megan Ball, described Thunberg as a fantastic role model to everyone, as someone who speaks loudly and proudly about important global issues. Um, this is how she described the 24,000-pound... That's pounds as in money, not weight, by the way. I was going to say, how <laughs> fucking big is this statue? Well, it's life size. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's a child. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's pounds. Blah, 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 <laughs> blah. So I want to go. So here, here's what they're saying. This is, they are unveiling this like, dude, the, let's, the, let's just call this what this is. Tell me the statue's made of like cobalt <laughs> or some, some like rare metal that badass like, like African yeah, conflict r- mineral. Exactly. <laughs> just You have to rape the earth to get <laughs> is let's just call this what this is. Okay. So this is interesting because when I first saw the story is like right off the bat, I'm like, okay, let's just call this what this is. You guys are trying to appease the mob. It's your, your, it's virtue signaling. Right. Yes. It's so in an email to students about the piece, the university added it hoped the statue would become a symbol of its commitment to combat the climate and ecological emergency. Greta is a young woman who, in spite of difficulties in her life, has become a world leading environmental activist. Difficulties? Uh, I think she's on the spectrum or she has autism, I think is the going theory. Isn't she like. I mean, she was wealthy enough to be able to take off school and sail around the world. <laughs> it's like, how difficult is her life? <laughs> okay, go on. As, Sorry. As, yeah. a uni- <laughs> as a university for sustainability and social justice, we are proud to honor this inspirational woman in this way, Professor Carter added. We hope that her statue will help to inspire our community, reminding us that no matter what life throws at us, we can still change the world for the better. That is a message we want all of our students and all young people to hear. Here's your statue. Everybody's happy now. What do you think the point of well, me bringing this story up? Well, I mean, as we all know, the Marxists, the communists out there, um, they really just want you to make one concession, mm. one one signal of your virtue, uh-huh. and then they're pretty much... They call it good. They're going to leave you alone <laughs> yes. and move on to the next yes. victim, right? Turns out this meaningless gesture by the university, which it was, uh, it was met with complete outrage for the... Marxist mob that is known as college students yeah. these days. Uh, an immediate protest was organized. They've been protesting and holding protests and and screaming at administrators and trying to get people fired ever since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the reason... Here's their statement. Protesters accuse Winchester University of ignoring its commitment to the environment. Okay. They want beef taken off the canteen menu, cheaper vegan options, and buildings made more energy efficient rather than wasting money on meaningless statues and calls for a greater action on social justice issues. It's okay. So, here, this is why I'm bringing this up. Not to just make, because everyone, everyone in this is a, is a goddamn clown, the yep. university and the students. But there is a larger kind of point here that I think that we need to pay attention to is 
this this is cultural Marxism and what the university mm-hmm. should, and we always say this, when the cancel mob comes for you is the university should, should have said, I, go, go to school somewhere else then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're not, we're not doing anything. I'm not doing it. Like this is what we offer. You can go to school or you're not. And these people, they make the mistake. It's a catastrophic mistake. And we see it happen over and over is you bend the knee to the mob thinking that you will appease them in some Mm -hmm. capacity and you never will. That's Mm -hmm. how cultural Marxism works. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be enough. It's once, and once you do bend the knee, they got you. Exactly. You're you're done for Like you're going to be gone. You're all going to lose your jobs here. Eventually you're going to, you're going to retire early. You're going to have to resign. You're going to get fired. You're going to get canceled, deplatformed, doxxed, you know, whatever given weaponization of the cultural mob, you know, what they use these days. And it seems it's so, it's wildly like entertaining slash like disappointing to watch that from the sidelines. He, I was like, are you guys not going to learn your lesson? Like he's not going to learn like no, it's, no. Pra- it's practice for the gulag. Right. And you're, you're failing. Yes. You're failing. You're being, you're given a chance right now to practice in an environment where you don't actually have to get tortured. Yeah. Nothing really bad is going to happen right. to you and you're failing. Mm-hmm. So get your shit together because this is happening right now and you're, you're not getting, you're not learning the lesson. So on just to interject something real quick yeah, yeah, yeah. I, on, um, the recommendation of James Lindsay on a podcast that he was on recently, I started reading, um, this pretty long book, thought reform and the psychology of totalitarian totalitarianism, a study of brainwashing in China by Robert J. Lifton. Interesting. Cause yeah, I, I got, go ahead. Yeah. We're on, we're on the same page here. And you're reading Gulag Archipelago, Gulag Archipelago right now. And I, I'm pretty much done with it. Uh, myself having it's fresh in my mind. Yeah. And, um, you, when you really look at the way that the communists did what they did in those two countries specifically, because those were clearly the most egregious examples of communism in the world, although there's been many bad ones, right? Um, it becomes very clear what's going on in culture that is exactly the same thing, and you see mm-hmm. total parallels Absolutely. between that. So I was just listening to this section in the book where the uh, this... Um, French, so it's a, a foreign national is being interrogated by the Chinese. Mm-hmm. So he was um, accused of espionage, accused of being anti the people, right? Anti China, and so he goes into this struggle session. And in China, they did something a little bit different than they did in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. They did struggle sessions, yeah. along with interrogation and interrogation is kind of where the torture happens and the confession right. needs to be made. And the struggle session is where you go back to your cell and all your cellmates and other people berate you and, and try to, yeah, not, not just, uh, you're right. It's also not just, uh, confined to people that were already basically taken, you know, into incarceration by the state is also done in public squares of people just of neighbor riding on a neighbor because you're living in just paralyzing fear. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the notion before when we were talking about Gulag Archipelago, that it's not, it's, you're living in so much fear that people start like irrationally turning in family members and other people. Cause like I need, if I'm shining the spotlight, that means the spotlight's not shining on me. And or it's like you 
you're being tortured. Yeah. So the struggle session and the in in China and the interrogation in China were kind of two sides of the same coin. Yeah. It's the same thing. Right. They didn't have the struggle part in the Soviet Union. Right. In the Soviet Union, they just had you either in your in, if you're in the gulag, you were either in your camp or in your cell, or until you signed your confession, yeah, um, you were being kind of punished. And then you would have to eventually sign your confession. And also now, once you actually admitted to doing something, so because a lot of people were very strong, and so I was just reading about this this priest in China, and he was very, very steadfast and strong in his faith. He was not going to lie, and he was not going to um, turn against his religion. Right. Okay. Well, priests. Priests have already kind of, you know, priests are bad motherfuckers. Yeah. A lot of them. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's very common to think of priests as rapists, but we're not, it's, <laughs> that's not who priests no. really are. That's a very, very small, sorry. Just kind of, <laughs> I just needed to throw that out there because bring up usually, <laughs> usually when you bring up priests, people think of child molesters and, uh, that's not really who priests are. Priests are especially in the old world, like you, you learn about these devoted, um, Eastern fundamentalist Catholic priests who were like some of the most spiritual and inspiring people in history. There's so many great stories written about these guys that suffered back there that. So anyways, long, long story short, this priest is a legit, like stoic dude. Well, he got broken down yeah. and he eventually went against his, his own principles yeah. and it crushed him to have had to do that. Right. But when you get tortured, you know, yeah. shit changes yeah. for you. Also another technique. When, so like, just to say real quick, you're talking about like the, the strength of maybe this priest or you talk about like, I just, I would never crack. You're like, you're not, you're going to have to kill me. Yes. One technique that they would use in the Soviet Union is they would grab your wife and like, we have your wife. Yeah. She's going to the gulag unless you give us 10 names. Yes. And you got to think about, I, I'm hard pressed to think of some people like, do I give up just 10 people that I know to get my wife out of the gulag? Right. I would. And then you're living with that for the yeah, rest of your life. Not, yeah. yeah. How do you, how great do you feel about that? What 10 names do you give up? Yeah. You know, all the, none of those people deserved it. Yeah. And you did that to save your wife. Like yeah. that's a shitty thing to do. Right. Like if I found out, found out someone gave me up to save their wife. I couldn't blame them. But you would not be, I'd be fucking pissed. Oh, well, yeah, I'd be upset. <laughs> so, <laughs> so not only that, okay. So, so you're being tortured, you're being deprived of sleep and food, which means your brain isn't functioning right. rationally. Um, and you're also given a psychological in China specifically, this psychological pressure, which the struggle sessions were designed to do yeah. to make you feel like maybe you did do something wrong. There's all these, this group of people around you, but the struggle session is basically since I, I don't think we made this like totally explicit, but is think of it this way. You're in the middle of a circle chained or handcuffed and everyone around you is yelling at you about what a bad person you are and how you need to come clean and admit and, to and the things that beating on you. Yeah. They were also referred to as denunciation, um, rallies and the struggle sessions in China were incredibly powerful. And that was the, they're basically cultural weapon. Their social weaponization of breaking people down. Yeah. It was a form of public humiliation. And, um, this was, this is all 
it happened before Mao Zedong, but he really kicked it into gear. Mm-hmm. And some of these struggle sessions, they would hold rallies up to a hundred thousand people. Mm-hmm. And for the, you, for those of you who think like, well, if they drug my neighbor into the town square, like I'm not going to start screaming at my, like there's no way, like I'm a human being and, th- and they're a human being. I would never do it. If you don't do that, you are going to be the next guy in the struggle session. It's just, it's the exact thing that happens when a political elite in North Korea dies. If you're not out in the streets crying your fucking eyes yeah. out and on your hands and knees, they start picking you out of the crowd. Or if you're the you're first the one, one to pre- stop applauding when the exactly. leader is yeah, praised. And, about the Gulag archipelago. Yeah. yeah. And so um, the, the reason that this is important, I think, is because these struggle sessions are happening in our culture now and this this thing with so what one more point about that the 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 trick that they used is they would use these struggle sessions and they would use these interrogations and this torture and all of these these tactics to get you to finally crack yeah and once you cracked and you said okay maybe i did you know interact with that uh, other priest and he, you know, right. Maybe, maybe he is a subversive or something. Yeah. Then you've, you've given up your defense. You've stopped being the stoic, you know, warrior that's going to defend everything. Yeah. And once you make that one crack, boom, it's all over the dam bursts. Yeah. And then they go after that, that weakness. And then they just, they continue to use that against you. They might use tactics where they make you feel good about yourself and then you finally give something up and then you can't turn back from that and that's what's happening right now culturally with that like with that university of winchester right so here's the point before you say what you're going to say is like here's the point that you need to remember and here's the point that we're making when we're drawing this parallel from what's going on with this ridiculous Greta Thunberg statue to the struggle denunciation rallies under Mao Zedong and the, you know, the techniques used to get people in the gulags under Lenin and Stalin is those struggle sessions or those interrogations under the Soviet Union is here's what you need to remember. And this is how it applies to what we're talking about now. And when I say like the woke mob is never going to be satiated like they're never going to be satisfied once you do that once you resign to them so if the, these college you know if you are the you know the supposed chinese dissident that says like fine yeah i, I had impure thoughts about china they don't let you go home after that no you're going to the prison camp anyway you're going to the gulag anyway you're being executed anyway you were going to be beaten to death in the public square anyway that's that's the point to remember with all this stuff. Right. That the mob is never satisfied. And it's, it's the same thing that's going on now when this school goes like, well, maybe if we give them a statue of Greta Thunberg, maybe they'll be satisfied. Like, no, all you did is show that you're weak. That's your confession. Like, you just you just bent the knee to them. Like, now there's fucking blood in the water at this point. Like, you're screwed now, mm-hmm. no matter what. Like, you guys are all going to be eventually ousted out of your jobs. You've given the asylum up to the inmates at this problem. Like, at this point, this, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. I've always talked to people because I've known like uh, friends of mine who didn't have a problem with cancel culture and deplatforming and doxing and and, the, and you know, now this. So think about it as it applies to our lives, like on the social mob. Like let's get together and like try to cancel someone. I'm gonna jump on board, like because you know fuck this guy, you know what I mean? Or fuck this business or fuck this brand or this band or whatever it is. And I'm going to pile on. Like it makes me feel good. It makes me feel virtuous because when I, you know, 
put hashtag whatever on my Facebook and, you know, and I'm like trying to cancel someone, people see that and go like, oh, this guy, like, he's a good guy. He's like, he's like an ally. It's like, you're trying to take the spotlight off yourself. And I used to tell these people that used to get involved in this stuff. And these were friends of mine. I'm like, dude, if you look at the history of cultural Marxism and the way these things work is, you know, going back into like the Soviet Union and China and North Korea. I don't even call it uh, cultural Marxism. It's just Marxism. It's Marxism. Yeah. Is that mob is going to turn on you. It, this is like, and I, and I, this is interesting because I was thinking about these things. It's the mob never being satisfied, never being satiated. You're going to get rid of all like the low hanging fruit, all the usual enemies, you know, you're, you conservative Christians and then you know your Alex Jones listeners and then I don't know maybe it's people that eat meat or whatever it is and you keep going you're gonna run out of people and like or they're gonna go like we're gonna go to different avenues of communication maybe we'll have our own social media we'll have our own business or whatever you know we're gonna just like whatever you guys do whatever you want to do and then that mob feeds on itself you start devouring itself and it reminds me this is kind of interesting is I was thinking about these things and looking through, it was like reading up in the history of the, uh, the, the cultural revolution under Mao Zedong and uh, what went on in the Soviet Union. At the same time that I was watching the um, Bernie Madoff docuseries on Netflix, who is famous for, I think, the world's largest Ponzi scheme of all time. I mean, hundreds of, hundreds of billion dollars. That and you know, well, it's not the world's largest. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> actually, I had that on my nose. Like, oh, sounds like the Federal Reserve <laughs> is the way. You know, for those of you that don't know, like the Ponzi scheme is basically, I let's say I know ten people. I go, let me invest your money, and I'm going to give you windfall profits. And he gives me. Let's just keep the math easy. He gives me a thousand dollars, and then I go the second guy. I was like, give me your money. I'll give you windfall profit. He gives me a thousand dollars. I take. $500 out of that and give it to this guy. Like this, these are, this is your profits from your original investment. And I just keep it going, 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 going. Now, obviously the math doesn't work. There's no investments. And in the case of Bernie Madoff, he was not investing anything. <laughs> there were no investments made at all. Like some of the Ponzi schemes involve them actually investing money, but no one makes, you know, consistent 10, 12% profits on someone's returns. Like that's unheard of and never gets affected by, you know, dips in the stock market. Bernie Madoff like wasn't, investing any money he would just kept taking money and giving it to different people and just pure pyramid it just pure ponzi scheme yes almost admirable but it made me think that i mean at least with amway you get cleaning products <laughs> yes or a new mattress <laughs> yeah. or vacuums and <clears throat> it's uh as i watch this i'm like this reminds me think of think of an ideology as and and like a cultural perspective put it in the realms of a currency and this is what the woke mob is basically it's a cultural pyramid scheme it's you know what i mean it's just outrage and cancel 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 get like get rid of everybody and as you just eliminate all these people like it's just a matter of time the pyramid begins to devour itself which is how the ponzi scheme fails it's someone's like i, I need my money out like right now and then someone goes oh that guy's taking his money like i need my money out and everyone which is essentially you know, that's almost the concept of the bank run or fractional reserve lending, how is, which is how our actual banks work, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. But it's, I think the same thing, the same idea applies like culturally, 
And so, like, as they just eliminate all this low-hanging fruit and, and or fruit and go after all these people, and it's like, well, like now there's nothing left, and they just start devouring themselves. And this is what happened in China. This is what happened in the Soviet Union. And this is what we're seeing happen, you know, as it playing out in Winchester University. It's like, fine, we're going to cater to you guys. Like, what do you need? And we give them what we need. Here's a, a statue, life-size statue, statue of Greta Thunberg. And they're like, we got you. We got you. Exactly. Yeah. No. Now you're going to, now we need this. Now we need this. Yeah. We need this. And you're going to give them all of that. Maybe, maybe not. If you don't, they're going to try to get you fired. If you do, they're going to make more demands and they're going to get you fired. Yeah. It's, it's, if you, if you say yes, if you bend the knee to these people, you have just opened the doors. You open the floodgates. And so that's why when like Joe Rogan, for example, apologized Everyone was so upset because right. people know this uh, intuitively that this is what's happening. You're being held to your, uh, you're being tortured. You're, you're being um, struggle sessioned in public. Yeah. And everyone's watching Joe Rogan. Right. And I, I want to say this. So I, I was already saying that if you think you could resist the torture and be stoic. I mean, God bless you if you can. Right. The Gulag Archipelago has stories of people that... We're just like, fuck you. Yeah. And those people are some of the great, and they died. With God now. <laughs> yes. And they are some of the greatest people to have ever lived. Um, can I just say that, like, the, the Nazis were awful. <laughs> okay. okay. Agreed. Can we agree on that? Yes. Can everyone in the room agree? That's the your, Nazis. That, that's, your, that's your hot okay. take. The, but their, what was their ideology? I've always said, dude, as it pertains to the Nazis. Are they cheering? They're booing. Oh, they're not saying boo earns? <laughs> <laughs> the Nazis, but what was their ideology? It was kind of, um, you know, the whites are great and the Jews are awful. Uh, that's an extremely rough elevator pitch, but yeah. Okay. I'm in the ballpark though, right? Yeah, right. But the ideology of the communists was the rich, the, the bourgeoisie are awful and it's the workers that are, are good. And that ideology has stuck around. Oh yeah. And is not considered evil. It's celebrated, in fact. Mm -hmm. And you could say that out on the street right now and have no problem with it. However, that ideology was responsible for killing tens of millions of people. And it was a religion in a way that the Nazi ideology was not. And I think that's why one of the reasons why it had such staying power. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not a, you can't, uh, like, you can't adopt a Nazi ideology very easily. Cause all it is, is like this group's bad. This group's good. Right. Whereas the, the communist ideology is like, no, what is bad is, is this ism, this capitalism. Yeah. And what is good is this, uh, the, the worker solidarity and, um, power to the people. And we define what the people are, but you know, it's a much easier ideology to get people to, adopt and so it has become a religion that won't go away 
Yeah. It's still there. And it's more, way more dangerous than Nazism. Nazism does not have a hold on anyone. Communism does. I mean, we know people, very, people that are close to us yeah. that think communism is... I know, I know people that personally, personally have told me, like, I think communism is a good idea. I was like, uh, we, there's no way to know for sure, but uh, under Stalin, like, you know, estimates are it killed somewhere between 30 and 60 million people died either by being executed, just straight up disappeared, or died from the famine. Yeah. And we go back to what we talked about, the, the lack of inner monologue in people. Like, oh, well, I don't know. I guess I, I didn't really know that. Yeah. <laughs> that's I know. it. That's the, end of the, that's the end of the discussion, huh? So anyways, yeah. So so these people that, that were able to resist are, you know, total heroes and, you know, should be considered saints in our in our society, but we don't really know about them because they just kind of got swept under the rug and the they won. You know, the, not, the communists won the war against and, the yeah, fascists. And, yeah, and as we talked about oh, when we, we did a pretty good chunk of the podcast about the Gulag Gulag Archipelago, I remember thinking to myself, like, why was I not taught this in school? Like, I had I had Hitler. And the Nazi regime and you know, the atrocities they, they committed drilled into my brain, and you know the number of Jewish people that perished. You know, they, the estimates was somewhere around like six million. Uh, some some people put it as high as nine million. I'm like, I'm looking at under Stalin between twenty and sixty million people, thirty and sixty million people were had died, been murdered, starved to death. Under Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong, they twenty and thirty million. I was like, that's like why it just seems like that would be part of the same lesson. It seems like, or it would at least be mentioned in a, in a history class. I always found that kind of interesting that that wasn't taught. So th- we have an example of people that have resisted mm-hmm. the worst possible scenarios. You know, your, your spouse being tortured and abused in the room next to you your children being killed your uh, or orphaned um just horrible scenarios Mm -hmm. that does exist we'd all like to think we're those people Mm -hmm. but when it comes down to it you know no one can blame you for not resisting right in the end but there is a roadmap and like i was saying in the very beginning we're in the trial period right now no one's actually Joe Rogan was not actually tortured. Right. It can be very devastating to lose your social media presence, to be canceled, to be demonetized. Look at a guy like Gavin McInnes who, right. you know, is struggling to, I mean, he's, he's doing okay, but you know, struggling. If to, that's what your livelihood is. Yes. To make a, a living based because, and he's had to fight to, to get that. Right. Right. Um, but <clears throat> we must resist. We must. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> much farther. We, we must go. We must trim the hedges, and we will much. Um, and so uh, the, the the time is now to to resist, and we have to not apologize if if these scenarios come up. The consequences now for not apologizing are far less than they'll be when you're actually being tortured. This shit did happen. And this does happen. And that's what these public struggle sessions are about. When the when the university succumbs to that, they open up the door and now now they're now they own them. 
Yeah. Right now they can't go back. They're never going to roll back. They're not going to take down the, the statue of Greta Thunberg. Right. Right. The communists got what they wanted and now they're their bitch and they're going to continue to use them. <laughs> 